Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. The context here is the conclusion of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. He died, he was buried, he rose again. We're about to celebrate that. And he spends 40 days with the disciples. And the opening of somebody's ministry, that's an important part. The ministry itself is important, but the closing moments of Jesus' life before he ascends into heaven, this is something that we should make sure we take note of. And Jesus took time to make sure that he communicated and imparted some things that the disciples, the apostles, would not miss because he was going to leave the church in their hands. Not that God is absent of the church, but basically how it played out in flesh. How flesh was involved, how flesh was used in the church, God gave it to them, the apostles. And so he spoke to them for 40 days. Acts chapter 1 conveys this, speaking things concerning the kingdom of God. And he said, I want you to capture this, I want you to know this, this is the send-off instructions. So the 11 disciples go away to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And they saw him. And they worshipped him. It is why we worship Jesus. But some people will doubt our worship. Some people will doubt our belief in Jesus. But nevertheless, we believe and we worship. Amen. And Jesus came, he spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I definitely wouldn't mind following the one that has all power in heaven and in earth. Jesus is not just a nice afterthought. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. The one we worship has total, absolute power and authority. And with that authority, he gives this commission. Go, therefore, teach all nations. This is not for one race. This is not for one societal class. It is for all Nations. It is for every ethnicity. It is for every part of the world. This is a church that believes that we are not a white church. We are not a black church. We are not a this, that, or the other church. We are the church of the living God to reach all nations. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so we hear Jesus saying, you go teach every single nation and you baptize them. In the name, someone say in the name. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Whatever Jesus commands, he says, I don't want you to leave any of it out. I want every ounce, every T cross, every I dotted. Make sure it all gets to all nations because it's not an option it's not an opinion verse 20 says it is a command that he gave but the send-off he says lo i am with you always even till the end of the world as far as i can tell looking around there's still world around us and so god is still around us god is still with us we are not in this alone this is the church of the living god for the next few moments i just want to teach about the dynamics 
of semantics. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for bringing us here together in your name, God. And I pray that your will would be done. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your blood that was shed on a cross, Jesus, so we can have our sins forgiven. We thank you for that, God. And I pray that your will would be done in these next few moments. And someone saying, Jesus name, the dynamics of semantics. I don't know if you've ever heard someone or a party of people get into a discussion and that discussion kind of evolves and it elevates in decibel level. There's increased emotion. There's increased pigment color going from the neck up and someone looks like a thermometer that's just kind of reaching the boiling point. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like that where things get a little warm and toasty. If you've not been in a situation like that, you're just missing out. They're just the most wonderful experiences to be a part of, to sit there where emotions rise and tempers rise and people get in an argument. Just got to love it. That's what we wake up in the morning and say, I hope I get to have one of those today. No, we, we pretty much like to refrain from conflict, but every now and again, you'll meet the personality that that is what they wake up for. That is what they dreamt about all night is the conflict. And they have woken up and they can't even tie their shoes because they forgot to take off their boxing gloves last night and they kept them on. There's those kind of people that like to argue over anything and everything because it is their daily diet. Of course, there's no one in this room like that, uh, but you might have met a long-distant relative from eons ago. But there are those that roam the earth that carry that demeanor. And we thank God for that because sometimes conflict helps provide clarity, to be honest. Because if everyone's just one monotone, vanilla, monolithic type thought there's really not convert converse conversation it is engaging two ideas two voices two opinions intersecting and colliding and you can come to a more clear conclusion sometimes maybe even muddy conclusion or no conclusion whatsoever after the conversation but i've heard it stated many times where someone says well you see it this way i see it that way It's just a matter of semantics, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. It doesn't really matter. You see it this way. I see it that way. And I don't have these scriptures up there, but you could maybe look and study at them later. But Peter talks about scripture itself, that it's not just tomato, tomato, potato, potato. It is literally a clear meaning that God gives forth when it comes to things. And he says, no prophecy of scripture is is a private interpretation. There are things that God says, and he meant them when he said them. And there's really no way around it. You can slice and dice it however you like and put it through various shades and lenses and filters. But God does have a specific meaning. God does have a clear meaning. And sometimes, you know, 
We may not always arrive at that meaning, but we should be in pursuit saying, God, I want to know what your word says. I want to know what the scripture says. Jesus said in Matthew 22 in verse 29, ye do err not knowing what the scriptures say. That is a great mistake is not to know what God's word says about a specific idea. And I am in agreement with what Brother Kemis preached this morning. Before, you know, we try to cram information of Scripture down someone's throat, there's got to be love. As it says in Ephesians 4.15, we are to speak the truth in love. It's not enough just to speak truth. It's got to be coupled with love if we ever want it to get across. And because God is love and the, there's love woven throughout the Scripture. But there is... Nothing more unloving than withholding truth itself. We can never love someone so much that we are not willing to give them the truth. We've got to have truth. And so Jesus made statements along the way in his ministry that literally would kind of siphon out, weed out, divide uh, uh, the crowds and reduce the numbers. Because he would give particular truths that would offend people, that would cause disagreement. And they would have some engaging conversation, but you don't want to fight with God. You don't want to fight with Jesus Christ. We want to make sure we're on the same page as him. The Bible says in John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have life everlasting. I want that everlasting life. And in this moment, Jesus is not just having some, I don't know what you call it, a soliloquy or just kind of some solo. He is having conversation with somebody. It's not just us reading this private moment where it's just by himself penning it and then mailing it to the Bible publishing company. It is Jesus in conversation with another individual, and they are talking about things concerning the kingdom of God. But as was mentioned this morning, sometimes we can isolate one segment of a conversation and miss the context of what is going on. I don't want to ever be a part of a false news type church. I want to have the good news, which is all the news. I want the full counsel of God. Someone say amen. And so when you rewind the conversation, Jesus in Nicodemus here in verse one, it says there's a Pharisee. His name's Nicodemus, and he is an influential ruler of the Jews. And in verse 2, he comes to Jesus in the covert of the night, and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Come from God. No one can do these miracles that you're doing unless God would be with him. And Jesus cuts to the chase because he just doesn't have much time to just kind of receive accolades and empty words. He just says, look, let's just get to where the rubber meets the road. I want to tell you this, Nicodemus, except a man be born again. Someone say born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to see the kingdom of God. But as we have the tendency at times is look at the scripture as some sort of buffet and we pick this part of the buffet, but not that and pick this. And well, I don't really like olives and I don't know what's wrong with you if you don't like olives. I love olives. But it, whatever you kind of want to pick and choose along the way, that's not how the word of God works. I want every word that is there. 
And sometimes, and it's one of the most famous and known scriptures that we ought to herald, decree, and declare. And that is John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But going to this context, as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he says, look, if you want to see that kingdom, you've got to be born again. And so Nicodemus in verse 4, out of just curiosity he says how is a man born when he's old how, how do i get born again a second time do i enter back into my mother's stomach to be born again at this age i don't know that's kind of weird that's kind of awkward i don't understand and so jesus gives the definition that's what semantics is it's language it is trying to find the meaning of the language what does that statement mean what does that statement mean What are the implications? What is it indicating to me? And so as Jesus makes this semantical statement of being born again, Nicodemus says, that sounds good. I like that. You're giving real poetic justice here. But what do you mean born again? And so Jesus says, let me explain this phrase to you. You must be born of water. Someone say water. And you must be born of the spirit. Someone say spirit. And you cannot enter the kingdom of God otherwise. Jesus gives definition to one of the most stated things that we hear in Christendom. I'm a born again believer. It's a wonderful phrase. It sounds beautiful. It's exciting. I love to see bumper stickers and t-shirts. But Jesus says, look, there's, there's, this, there's a clear meaning to what I am saying when I say born again. And that is to be born of water. And that is to be born of the spirit if we want to enter into the kingdom of God. And he says to give more clarity saying, look, I'm not talking about this physical birth. That is which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And he says, don't marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it will. And you can hear the sound of that wind, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. But so is everyone that is born of the spirit. When he talks about this new birth, born again experience, he says, it's just like the wind. You can't see the wind. It's invisible. How do you know the wind exists? How do you know it's a windy day? You can see the effects of the wind on a limb outside. You can see that limb begin to teeter and totter. And if it's basically South Dakota, you can see it basically plowed right on over, branch on the ground. That's how you know you're in South Dakota. The winds are bending the trees and those leaves are stammering and quivering. And he says, that's what it's like. You see the effects of the wind upon the element it comes in contact with. But not only do you see this, this stammering and this moving on the limb and on the leaf there is a sound that you hear that word sound literally means it's phonics it is language is if you want to do a word study after service and do your own homework he literally saying you can hear the sound of somebody born of the spirit you can you can feel the effect of being born of the spirit and you can hear the sound when somebody is born of the spirit And so Nicodemus, after this very clear explanation, he says, how is this even possible? And look what Jesus says. You're a master of Israel and you don't know these things. And that's where it's more than just education. It is revelation. 
You can be smart. You can be well-versed. You can be well-read. But at the end of the day, there's a revelation that we've got to receive from God to understand when he begins to speak in these semantics, when he begins to speak in those language of the Spirit. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Here's a great verse you could jot down if you like. It's Psalm 119 and verse 18. It says, Open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I don't want to read with just mere human understanding and my own uh, logic. I want God to open my eyes to see the wonderful things in his law. But so many hear things, but do not understand things. Jesus, now in Mark 16, verses 15 through 17, this is, again, the conclusion of Jesus' ministry before he ascends up into heaven after the resurrection. And he says this great commission, go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And so he begins to define, to explain what is to be preached to every creature. He says, he that believes, there's the John three sixteen element of what we just read in the conversation of John three, right? But then he says, and is baptized shall be saved. There is the birth of water, be born of water, be born of spirit to be born again. He that believes not shall be damned. And look at verse 17. These signs will follow them that believe. Here is the evidence of one that believes of one that is in this faith. He says, they will in my name cast out devils. That which is not of God gets out of our lives. I believe in literal demonic possession that can be cast out. But I also believe that which is not of God, he wants to cast out of your life. That addiction that I could not break free from, when I begin to believe in the name that is above every name, when I begin to pray, and when those around me begin to pray for me, I believe God. Here's the prayer of the righteous. And he steps down into that situation and he can cast out whatever it is that we are bound by. Is there anyone here you are addicted by something and God set you free? Would you just wave your hand as a testimony? Look around you. God still sets the captive free. Hallelujah. But he goes on to say, they shall speak with new tongues. There is the sound of someone being born of the spirit. It is the context, the full three dimensional view of what Jesus speaks in John chapter three with Nicodemus, these semantics, this conversation that is going on. Jesus started off his ministry talking about belief and talking about water and talking about spirit. And now we see at the conclusion of his ministry, still talking about belief, still talking about water, still talking about spirit. We ought not to just simply Ignore that and not pay attention. If he's going to start his ministry off in that and conclude his ministry with that, I think that's the best way to start in the kingdom. In fact, it's the way to enter into the kingdom. And it's the way we are going to make it into that kingdom is because we start off with belief. We are believing in the birth of water and we are believing in the birth of spirit. It's a matter of semantics. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. Do words matter? Jesus says, every idle word that people speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For those that may struggle with some of your speech and reining it in, you might want to write this one down and put it on your rearview mirror when you're driving. 
You might want to have that around at your workplace if you, you lose your temper. You might want to have that taped across your, your phone when you're texting someone or when you're posting on social media. I'm going to have to give an account for my words. And so, God, I need that bridle. I, I, I need you to help me with my language. And I'm not just talking about cursing. I, I, there's also perverse language. And there's also gossip. And there's also slander. And there's things that we ought not to be doing. Somebody say, praise the Lord. It's easy to, to highlight some adult. It's easy to highlight some sort of murder. It's easy to highlight some sort of drug usage, but it's the common struggle of every man. And we need the help of the Holy Ghost to give us a new tongue. Well, I could hang out there for a while, but you just go ahead and put that on your rearview mirror on your phone. Because he says, by your words, you will be justified. Someone say justified. Let's remember that word if you can, if, if, if we could circle back to that justified and by your words, you will be condemned. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. God. So you're saying there's a dynamic to this word realm. There's, there's, there's some consequence that plays out with our words. Well, God help me with my words. The Lord is so good at illustrating in his word to get us to see and understand some things. Look at the old Testament judges 12, five and six Jephthah. There is this battle going on between tribes. And Jephthah, he is at this shallow crossing of the Jordan River. Basically, South Dakota doesn't know what a toll booth is. I was born and raised in Chicago. Have fun there with toll booths. This is a toll booth, basically. And I, you, you want to go into this side of the land, you got to pay a fee. You got to pass the test when you come to this toll booth. And basically, anytime someone that was a fugitive from the tribe of Ephraim wanted to go across, the people of Gilead would challenge him. Are you a member of the tribe of Ephraim? And they would say, no way, Jose. I, I, I am not from that tribe. I'm not from that clan because they knew they were about to get in trouble if they were. And so the person at the Tolbu would say, okay, you're not from Ephraim. Say Shibboleth. And if he was from Ephraim, he would say Sibboleth. And now he was found out because he did not say Shibboleth. He said Sibboleth. Because the people from Ephraim could not pronounce the word correctly. And they found at that crossing 42,000 Ephraimites who could not add an H in the word. And they were slayed. Do you think words matter in that moment? <laughs> yeah, sure. You bet you now, don't you know? You know, it's like, well, are you, are you from South Dakota? Oh, no, no, I'm not from South Dakota. Okay, say Pierre. <laughs> Pierre. <laughs> now there's revelation in the house all of a sudden. And those that are not from South Dakota, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You stay here long enough and you try to get someone to say Pierre correctly. They don't know how. Because the people from South Dakota say pier. In Chicago, we have Navy Pier. But in South Dakota, this French establishment, the capital called Pierre. Or it's like my Mexican mama from Tijuana. God bless her. It's like, hey, mom, say church. Church. Let's go to church, mijo. Hey, what are we eating for dinner tonight, mom? Chicken. As My mom cannot properly frame speech. To say chicken or church, or even worse, church is chicken. She can't do it. 
And that's what's going on in this context here. It's just a matter of words that would became a matter of life and death because it would expose what camp you're of, what camp you're from. The way we talk will reveal what camp we are from. What we say and what we states reveals what tribe we are from. I want to be apostolically clear what it is that I'm a part of and where I'm from. Because I want people to know in the God in whom I believe and the name in which I was baptized in and the power of the birth of the Spirit. We must learn. There are certain dynamics in language. Galatians 3, 15, 17. This is not just an Old Testament statement, but in the New Testament, it says, Brethren, if I speak after the manner of man, though it be a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls it or adds thereto. He says, here's even the power of a man-made document, a man-made covenant. And then he says, now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And when God made a promise to Abraham, it does not say, look at this, verse 16. He says not to seeds. Everyone see S-E-E-D-S. He doesn't say to seeds as of many, but as of one. To thy seed, which is Christ. He says there's a revelation in these semantics here. When we talk about plural and when we talk about singular, it makes all the world a difference. Everyone can see, I, I, you, you can't miss this. Now, now, we can give information, but I pray in the name of Jesus, a spirit of revelation will be here today that we understand there's a difference between seed and seeds. There's a difference between dollar and dollars. I mean, if you, you got to get one, which one would you want? Dollars. The more, more money, right? But more money, more problems, of course. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20, look at this, Jesus. Let's go back to what we read. All power given to me in heaven and in earth. And so I want you to teach all nation. We're, we're all going to preach to one type of people. Uh-uh. Preach to all nations. Plural. And he says, when you ple- preach to the plural, I want you to baptize them in the name. Does it say names or does it say name? He says, I don't want you to baptize one nation in names I want you to baptize nations in the name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And you've got to teach them to observe every single thing that I am commanding you. And if you would do so, I will be with you even to the end of the world. Jesus, the context here is before he ascends into heaven. He says, before I go, I want to make sure I make myself clear. There is a baptism that must go forth to every single nation. This is not cultural. We're only one nation. This is cross-cultural. This is cross-continental. This goes from one side of the earth to the other side of the planet. That every nation is to be baptized in the name. If he would take the time to open up his ministry with baptism and to conclude his ministry in the doctrine of baptism and to make some emphatical statements about this is a commandment. Do you think it might almost kind of sort of maybe be a big deal? Just a little bit maybe? How big of a deal could this be? Well, Jesus said it. That's enough for me, right? But the Bible says, let's 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 put a little emphasis on it. Let's let's emphasize strongly this doctrine, this 
point, this purpose. And it says in uh, uh, 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, the apostle Peter, as he's preaching about this doctrine of baptism, look at this. He says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls were saved by water. He says, Peter goes, I I want to illustrate something to you. Let's go back to our Sunday school class. Let's remember Noah's Ark. The world was wicked. The world was corrupt. The world was disobedient. And God says, I'm going to bring judgment to this earth. But if you want to be spared from that judgment, you just simply got, see, the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of God. We've got to find grace in the eyes of God. But that grace, the Bible says in the book of Titus chapter 2 verses 11, it says the grace of God hath a appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace is a teacher. You know you found the right grace if grace begins to teach you something. Saying, look, I don't want you to leave you in something disgraceful. Grace wants to take you out of that and take you somewhere beautiful. And so Noah found grace and grace began to teach him, I want you to build this ark. I want you to begin to make it this long, this wide, this high, this many levels, this many windows, this many doors, and I want you to have this many kind of this type of animal. I God began to give him all the specific civics and details and the material of the ark itself and how it's going to be basically caulked in pitch. It's going to have all of this. And then the Bible says the floods came and destroyed the earth. But the Bible says eight souls were saved by water. What, what are you saying, Peter? What are you saying, Apostle Peter, who was there with Jesus for 40 days, speaking about the things concerning the kingdom of God before you send into heaven? Look at next verse, verse 21. Like unto this, this, this was a figure where unto baptism, what does it say? Doth also now save us. Now, I know that is completely contrary to modern day Christianity thinking because we're just thinking John 3.16 only. And yes, we believe John 3.16 is the ignition of where we're going. It's faith. There's nothing without faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, by, by grace through faith are ye saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know Hebrews 11.6, no man can please God unless he believes that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And Peter says, look, look, I, I, I walked with Jesus, and I heard what Jesus said before he shot up into the heavens. He said something in the beginning of his ministry about baptism, and he said something in the end of his ministry about baptism. And Peter was given the keys of the kingdom of God to preach the first sermon to the first church on the first day that it was initiated and started in Acts chapter 2. And he says, let me tell you what I learned from Jesus. What I learned in my Sunday school class is Noah's Ark is an example for us of baptism. It's not the putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not some bubble bath. But it is the answer of a good conscience towards God. When a believer, when they believe and they repent Repent of their sins. God begins to clear and work on them and say, look, now you got to answer to this. I've just forgiven you. And the answer of a good conscience towards God is to be like Noah in Noah's ark. Let's do what God said to do. And you can say, well, how on earth is Noah's ark anything to do with salvation? I thought that was all about destruction. The whole, the whole planet died. What in the world? But you know what the example is? They all got in the boat, right? Everyone follow me? Everyone listening? They all got in the boat. The waters came. Listen, everyone here? And everything that disobeyed God 
stayed under the water. Everything that obeyed lifted up on out. He says that is an example of baptism. The power of an answer of a good conscience towards God. That God says, okay, all this disobedience in your life, you've been walking on this earth, you've been living ungodly ways, and you've asked God to forgive you, and you found grace in the eyes of God, but let's keep on keeping on. Let's keep serving God. We believe in come as you are, but God never intended that to be stay as you are. God wants there to be a purging in your life. God wants there to be a cleansing in your life. God wants there to be a covenant in your life. And all of a sudden, the waters came and ate souls came up. The Bible says that the like figure where even to baptism doth also now save us. Peter did not contradict the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said we must be born of water and spirit. And Jesus, before he ascended up into the heavens, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He said, well, that's salvation by works. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's no more work than you confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because what is confession? An action word. What is belief? An action word. It's as much work in your head to register thought and can contemplate the consequences of your decision to serve God. That's a work. But see, we know it's not confined to simply calling on the name of the Lord. Because I play basketball. Well, I used to. I used to play basketball before I almost went pro. And then, you know, the Lord called me. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was fist string water boy. And I tore my, my cankle, and, uh, and it just is over after that. But anyways, what was I saying? Basketball, basketball has something to do with something. Works. Words. Oh, I, I used to play basketball. Thank you. I used to play basketball. I know you're still struggling with that concept of watching a water bug on the court. But I used to play basketball, and I heard people call on the name of the Lord all the time. But that does not equate to salvation. It's faith. In the name. It's repentance when you call on the name. If it's just the name, then it's a work. But if it's the faith factor in the grace factor in the calling on the name, that's what makes it work. When we're about to baptize somebody today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing magical or mystical about the water. It's the power of calling on the name that is above every name. It's faith in that name. And it's the power that we have access to when we call on that name with faith and repentance. The blood of Jesus begins to move and work in that situation. Hallelujah. Man, I want to keep going through a bunch of illustrations. Let me just, I'm going to move forward. Let me use this this same concept. We got someone running the aisles. They're so excited about this. That's powerful. But here's the deal. Listen, listen, here's what's so incredible. Baptism's not just about this salvation of being born again. Now, because Jesus, not pastor, Jesus said to be born again, you must be born in water spirit. Jesus said we must believe and be baptized to be saved. Not me. I'm just trying to echo what he said. Now, hear me. Are you all listening? But baptism is not just about the purging of sin. It's more than that. It's a covenant. It's an agreement with God. It's saying, God, I want to enter into a relationship with you that I, I, I'm going to abide by. I want to live for you. Because what happens after Noah's ark, when the, when the ark subsides and settles, what does God do? He sets a bow in the cloud, in the sky, a rainbow. And he says, this is my covenant. 
and this is how I'm going to deal with you this day forward. When we get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, for the remission of sins, we, God washes those sins away like he washed that old earth away. He washes the old man away. And behold, all things have become new. We are a new creature in Christ Jesus. But God says, now we're in a covenant. We are in an agreement. I don't have time because there's other verses I want to get to, but you could, I'm so tempted to go here, but I'm not going to. But the, the Abraham's another perfect example in Colossians chapter 2 of a covenant. And the Bible says that covenant of circumcision in the Old Testament represented baptism in the New Testament and that it was the power of being buried in Jesus' name. You were entering into covenant. Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But God says, all right, now you believe in me. Now, I remember I told you, I want to bless your family. I want to bless your land. I want to bless your job. See, when you get baptized, when you enter into covenant with God, you better believe you're latter half of life is going to be blessed. You might have done everything you could in your flesh before, but it was a mess. But when you get buried in the name of Jesus, your life's going to be blessed. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be trials and tribulations. But no matter what comes my way, God is for me. And if God be for me, it does not matter what is against me. Woo! So God says, Abraham, you believe. That's awesome. But let's, let's enter into contract now. I want you to be circumcised. Say, what? What? You want me to what? He says, well, you believe, right? Yeah, I believe, God. Well, I want you to enter into covenant with me. A blood covenant. Circumcision. And so all of a sudden, there's accountability with faith. There's expectation of the faith. And so he had to step forward with the process. As uncomfortable, inconvenient as it was. It wasn't about him anymore. It was about the relationship. This is what I, I want to do. I know you asked me to do it, but God, I want to, I want to be in covenant with you more than I want to be in convenience. I want to be in covenant more than convenience. I want to be in covenant. Let's move forward. It's 12, 13 and we have a baptism unless everybody walks out because they fall asleep because I preached so long. That would be sleepwalking, I guess. There's, there's about four other illustrations I want to go through. I got to hurry up. Luke 24, 47. We're going to jump forward. Jesus, again, going back to the end of his ministry before he ascends into heaven. He says, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Names? No. Sins? Oh, yeah. We all got more than one sin in our life. But no matter how many sins, it could be taken care of with one name. Isn't that awesome? No matter how sinful of a person you and I are, no matter how many times you may have repeated a sin, your sins are taken care in his name. That name is that powerful. Woo! <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. See, here, here's the difference. Again, let me, I, I, you've heard me say this before if you've been here long enough, is, is that the difference, the difference between forgiveness and remission. You see that word remission there? And, well, there's a lot of words up there. There we go. You see that? You see that word remission? There's a difference between that word and forgive. Forgiveness and remission, they're very similar, but they're, they're, there's, there's this dynamic about these semantics that are worlds apart. It's amazing. God, see, forgiveness is me. Like, uh, we have, um, we, I was raised in the culture of my mother, and basically whatever she said went. My dad was just there for looks. And so, I, I better edit that out so my parents don't listen. I'm in, I'm in trouble. They have just 
stricken me off of the wheel. So, but here's the deal is like, like we had a terrible tradition in our home. One was like New Year's. It was like the house had to be clean because whatever the house condition was on New Year's Day, that's, that was the condition of the house for the rest of the year is what my mom's tradition believed. So basically New Year's Eve, all we did was clean. It was the dumbest thing. And so, but we, we have this other culture from my mom. You have two sets of clothes. You have play clothes and you have nice clothes. Play clothes you could play in. Nice clothes you can't do anything fun in. That was pretty much the rule. That was our culture. And so, so like, uh, I, would, I would have to dress nice, and not because I wanted to, but because I had to. And so I would go outside, and, and, and you know, back in the day, the, you young guys will not understand this. People used to play outside. A completely, completely different world. You have no idea what I'm talking about, okay? But we, people used to play outside without a referee, without cameras, without trophies, without blue ribbons and participation. Not, it was just, you actually played outside, Okay, and so what would happen is I would sometimes have to be outside in my nice clothes and my friends would be playing and they say, come on, Mark, play. And I'm like, I can't. I'm in my nice clothes. And they basically call me chicken and all that kind of stuff. And then I have to go and prove that I could beat them. And so I go and I would get all my, all my play clothes, dirty grass stains, etc. And I, I, I did not want to go home one because I was having fun. But two, I knew the danger of going back home because, again, my my mama. And so I, I went home and I was scared for my life. And so I would, I would do everything I can to just tiptoe to get there. And all of a sudden I would hear mijo. And that's Spanish for my son. My mom would call me and, and fear would go up and down my spine because she was old school. I'll leave it at that. And all of a sudden I was so nervous. And also she would see the grass stains on my clothes and she would begin to speak in Spanish. And you knew you were in trouble when she spoke in Spanish. And so I'm cowering and I would fall before her and I would ask for forgiveness. I would, I would plead for mercy. And if I did it sincerely and right, my mom would hold back what was coming my way. That's forgiveness. That's mercy, right? I should have had that have happened to me, but I asked for forgiveness, but I still had the stains on me. She had to put them in the wash and the wash got the stains out. That's the difference between forgiveness and remission. Forgiveness saying, God, I love you. I believe you. I want to serve you. Forgive me. I'm sorry for my sins. And God holds back. He knew he gave us this body, this temple of the Holy Ghost that was not meant to be what we've done with it. And he holds it back. And now God says, let's take care of those stains. Let's see a remission. And Jesus says remission is of sins begins in my name for all nations at Jerusalem. Matthew 28, 19. Check this out. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them what? In the name, singular. So he talks to them about this for 40 days. And so let's go to the birthday of the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, 38. I'm just about done. I, I literally have about 100 verses, but I'm skipping a bunch. Because we're having Bible study right now. Acts 2, 37, 38. The Holy Ghost pours out. Everyone's speaking in tongues. That's what, that's what the church does. That's what Jesus said was going to happen, right? Jesus said these signs will follow them that believe they will speak with new tongues. He says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus said it. And just like he said it would happen, it happened. And so now you have all these tongue-talking, spirit-filled Pentecostals. And people begin to make fun of it and mock it because they don't understand it. And that's usually what people do, especially in the north. And so all of a sudden, Peter starts preaching. He says, you know, I'm not, I backed down from my faith before, but I'm not backing down now. I got the Holy Ghost. And he begins to preach. And as he preaches in verse 37, they're pricked in their heart. They feel guilty. They feel conviction. 
And they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What do we do? And Peter says, repent. There's that John 3, 16, that, that belief, that repentance when we begin our walk with God. But Jesus, remember John chapter 3 with Nicodemus? It wasn't just verse 16. It was verse 3 and verse 5 as well. And he says, you need to be baptized. Who? Every one of you. Not some of you, not every other one of you. Every one of you. How? In the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. When we ask God to forgive us, he forgives us. The Bible says that in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he says, let's take care of those sins or those stains and let's put them in the wash. Just like Noah's Ark. I'm going to wash everything that was disobedient and there will be nothing that exists anymore. It's gone and you are in a new covenant and you are in a new world. You're living a new life. You're in a new relationship. It's the power of baptism. And how was it administered here in the scripture? In the name of Verse 38, Jesus Christ. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but you'll see this pattern. I'm going to go through fast now because I've got to write, wrap up. I'm going to try to wrap up in 10 minutes. It's 1220. I'm, I'm paying attention with time. Acts 8, 14 through 16. The next time we see conversion in the scripture, that basically it goes into detail of what happened in the conversion. The apostles are at Jerusalem. They hear about people in Samaria that accepted God's message. It all starts with that accepting. It all starts with that believing. It all starts with that repenting. But they send for the preachers to come down. Why? Because these new believers, verse 15, they are believers. They still need to receive this Holy Spirit. Believing in God is not the same as being filled with God. Two separate experiences. And Jesus said we need to have both. So Jesus said John three sixteen and John three five, And now the apostles continue what Jesus taught. Now look at verse 16. The Holy Spirit had not come upon them, but they had been baptized. How were they baptized? Look at this. I want your eyes to see this. This is what the scripture says. The Bible, the book that we claim to live our lives off of. They were baptized in the name of what? The Lord Jesus. The next conversion experience, Acts 10, 46 through 48, where we get into detail of what happens. It says they begin to speak in other tongues, praising God, just like Jesus said would happen. You must be born again of water and spirit. These signs will follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. And they're speaking in tongues. And Peter says, can anyone, these guys got the Holy Ghost just like we did. We can't object to them being baptized. Now, these guys get the Holy Ghost. They get baptized with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And Peter, he now has a, an option because, you know, the, the whole purpose of the blood of Jesus Christ and dying, buried, rise again is so people can experience the resurrection power of God living inside of them. And he can say, well, they got their baptism of the Holy Ghost. They got God living inside of them. Well, it looks like they get to they could go right past go. They could go past jail. They don't have to go to jail. Everything's all right. No big deal. No, the Bible says he gives them orders in verse 48 to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Where's the last time we heard that? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said, I want you to teach everyone to observe everything I've commanded you. Don't leave a single thing out. And so what does Peter do? He stands up while they're baptized in the Holy Ghost. He says, stop. You guys still need to be baptized. We're not going to leapfrog baptism and say, no big deal. He says, I order you to be baptized. How? In the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible, once more. Acts 19, last, not the last scripture, but another 
occasion of conversion. Acts 19, 1 through 6. I'm just about done. It comes to pass there at Apollos in Corinth. Paul's passing through the upper coast. He comes to Ephesus. He finds certain disciples, believers. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost? Look at this, verse 2. Make sure you see it with your eyes. This is the Bible. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I know you believe, but have you received since you believe? Because it's not just John 3, 16. It's John 3, 16 and John 3, 5. Because we can't buffet Jesus. I want the full counsel. I want the full gospel. Give me it all. I want everything Jesus taught. And I want John 3, 16. But I want John 3, 5. Jesus said to be born of water and spirit. And he says, so have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they respond in verse 2, we don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean the Holy Ghost? What do you mean have I received the Holy Ghost? And so he backs up. Look at verse 3. He says, okay, 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 okay. How were you baptized? And they're like, we're Baptists. John the Baptist. We, 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 we were baptized under John's baptism. And Paul says, oh, okay, okay, okay. So John, this is how he baptized. But let me tell you about what's come since John. Someone say Jesus. Since John has come Jesus. In verse 5, he says this. When they heard this, how were they baptized? In the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul lays his hands on them. Then comes the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with tongues and prophesy. Why? Because Jesus says this is the sign that follows everybody. He that believeth and is baptized, these signs will follow them that believe they shall speak with new tongues. We have this awesome message of the gospel experience that is for every tongue, every nation, every person, no matter where you find yourself, it is not confined to a culture somewhere. It is for whosoever will let them come and drink of the waters freely. Would you clap your hands? Now you can say, well, well, Man, I never heard such a thing. Neither did they in verse 19 or chapter 19. And the Bible says, listen, very clear, carefully. He goes, how were you baptized? They're like, well, we already been baptized. He said, okay. But have you been baptized this way? And they got baptized again. It is biblical to be rebaptized if you find something and you learn something of truth that you did not know before. You're like, wow, I never saw that. I never knew that. I believe that. It's it's right there in the book. Let me have at it. And that is exactly what happened to 12 of these guys that have already been. I mean, how would you feel like? I mean, you just got baptized by John the Baptist, who Jesus is the greatest prophet ever. But it doesn't matter who baptized you if there is a Jesus named baptism for you. It wasn't about name dropping, well, so-and-so and this ministry and this church baptized. No, 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 no. Were you baptized in Jesus' name? Because that's the powerful name. That's the saving name. That's the greatest name that is above every name. And so, look, one more guy. We're just about done. Acts 18, 24. It's 12, 26. Pick up sticks. It says, Jew, name Apollos, is born in Alexandria. Eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. Here's the dude that knows his Bible. He knows the Bible. How are you going to have an argument of semantics with someone that knows their Bible, right? And he's instructed in the way of the Lord. That L-O-R-D, that means Jehovah. He's instructed in the way of the Lord. And he's fervent in the spirit. Passionate man that knows the scripture. That's a one God, Jew. And he teaches things of the Lord. And only knows one type of baptism. John's baptism. In verse 26, he's speaking boldly in the synagogue. But there's two Christians. They're called Aquila and Priscilla. And they hear about it. And they take him to the side, and the Bible says they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. We should never be offended when someone shows us further truth. Look, I worked at Starbucks for almost 10 years. 
I made thousands of coffee. I thought I knew. But one day the scales came off my eyes and I found real good coffee. But it took me coming out of Starbucks to find good coffee. But I thought I knew and I was passionate. I was the poster boy that could like quote that big old book. I could tell you everything about every coffee at Starbucks. But I came out of darkness, Charbucks, and I came into the light and I found better coffee. I know that's a silly illustration, but look, you could be so entrenched in tradition for so long and not even realize it. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you're some wicked, intentional, I want to I wanna be, I want to intentionally be completely aware of what God has. No. But God so loves that he sent someone their way to say, let me expound further truth for you. And when they got that further truth, the Bible says they begin to teach him Jesus in verse 28. Acts chapter 8. I got to hurry up. It's, it's Ephesians 4, 5. One Lord. Someone say one Lord. Someone say one faith. Someone say one baptism. It's a matter of semantics. There's a dynamic in this. It's one. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There is a right way. There is a wrong way. If, there, if, if it was open to interpretation, we could baptize you in the name of Mickey Mouse. We could baptize you in the name of Mark Andrew Brown. We could baptize you in the name of Teletubbies. We, we could baptize you in Jello. We could baptize you in Skittles. If it's, just, if it's just semantics. But it's more than that. There's power in realizing this is what Jesus said. This is what the apostles said. And so it's, it's a big deal. This is what I need to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I thank God it doesn't stop there. Verse 11 says, such were some of you. But what happened? What's the difference? What happened to you? What happened to me? We were washed. We were sanctified or made whole, made clean. How? Justified. How? Remember that, remember I said, remember that word justified? By your words you are justified, and by your words you are condemned? How are you justified? In the name of the Lord Jesus. And when is that name called over you? In baptism. And by the Spirit of our God, to be born of water, to be born of Spirit. Let's stand together. If you could put Acts 2.38 up there. or 37, I'm sorry, Acts 2.37. They heard this just like you heard this today. I have no idea the condition of your heart or what's going through your heart right now. I am not God. I am just a person. But with what you heard, is there a question inside of you that says, well, what do we do? And I simply echo what Peter said, and Peter simply echoes what Jesus said. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Is that it? No, he doesn't stop there. He says, baptize who? 
Every one of you. Look at that scripture on the screen. This is the word of God. Every one of you. How? In the name. Name singular of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. Now, I don't. Let me ask you this question. Just three quick questions. And I want you to pay attention and answer this in your head. You ready? Don't don't nod your head and don't say anything out loud. Just answer in your head. Everyone got those instructions? Otherwise, you might look silly. I mean, I, you could confess out loud if you want. But I'm giving you a warning. Just answer in your head. Question number one. Were you baptized as an infant? That's question one. You got your answer? Don't tell me. Question number two. Were you sprinkled when you were baptized? And question number three, were you baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? Answer that question. Got your answers? Everyone? So if you answered yes to any of those three, I've got good news for you. You are eligible to be baptized again, just like the Bible says. What do I mean by that? In the Bible, infants are never baptized. You know why? There's two qualifications to be baptized. Faith and repentance. An infant does not have faith and they do not repent. Now, we wish they would say they're sorry for all those diapers that they made. <laughs> and they're going to have to when they come of age and say, I am so sorry for what I made my parents do. But some take longer than others. But that's why we don't baptize infants here. I know tradition. I suppose in the north, I, I, it's a very common practice. But I'm not after tradition. I'm after the word. Okay? Number two, were you sprinkled? Never in the Bible is anyone ever sprinkled. The word baptize literally means to immerse and to dip underwater. And everyone that was baptized in the Bible was baptized that way. The Bible says it is symbolic of being buried. Like, if you had a dead carcass, you don't want to, like, throw, like, a few crumbs on it. You want to bury it. And that's what baptism is. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 is the illustration of Jesus Christ being buried, and we are to be buried like Jesus in baptism. Number three, were you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or in the titles? It's a very common thing you hear people do. They say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. But I don't know if you caught this. Every verse we read where the apostles baptized someone, they never said that those titles. They said, in Jesus' name. Did you catch that? In Jesus' name, every time. If you could find an alter, alternate way, I'll give you $100 today. I'll give you 100 bucks from Troy. Because <laughs> I don't have $100 in my pocket. But he will, he will. Because he, I think he's confident enough knowing that it's not, it's not in the book. And this is what we do as Christians. We claim this book is what we believe everything. Right? Are you a Christian? This is the book. But people in tradition, for whatever reason, just keep following it. Masters of the law, like Nicodemus. He says, what? You're, you're well educated in the scripture. And you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you? It's, guys, it's a revelation. And the apostles did not disobey, disobey Jesus. They understood what Jesus said. Because what did Jesus say? Baptize in the name singular. Remember Shibboleth or Sibboleth? Remember seed or seeds? It says 
sins remitted in the name. Is Father a name? No. Is Son a name? No. Is Holy Spirit a name? No. Those are roles. Those are titles. Those are attributes. I am a father. I am a son. I am a pastor. But that's not my name. If I was to give you a $100 check and I just wrote pastor on there and you took it to the bank, you, did not, you will not get access to what's in my account with a title. You get access to what's in my account with my name. And so it is with God. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name. Jesus, he said, the Spirit comes in my name. The name Jesus literally means the one God, Jehovah, becomes salvation. The power of baptism is in the name. The apostles did not disobey Jesus. The apostles had revelation of what Jesus told them to do. Go to every nation and baptize them in the name. What we're about to do here today in these next few moments is we're simply going to do what the Bible says, and that is to baptize in the name that is above every name. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Acts 4.12, I, I, if you have it, you can put it up there. I know it's on there, but it's back up a little bit. But Acts 4.12 says, neither is there salvation any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So if you're here, and as I said, if you answered yes to any of those three questions, and you still might be a little uncertain what I meant and what has been discussed here today in our Bible lesson, I know today's different, but I, I, I'm doing what I believe the Holy Ghost has told me to do. To give very clear instruction of what we believe about baptism. And why we practice baptism the way we do. Because I want to be a church of the book. I want to be a church of the word. And I'm excited to see Bianca baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm excited. So excited. Another one you could put up. If you could go back, it'd be way back there. If you don't find it, don't worry about it. But uh, 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. We'll read this verse one last time. And then Bianca, uh, if, if, if you have clothes to change into, you go ahead and do that. Pastor Jared, if you want to get a, a, a rope for her, if she needs that, we're going to get ready to baptize her in just a moment. But I'd like us to all gather around this altar as they're getting ready for baptism. Which sometime, were you ever, were you ever disobedient sometimes? <laughs> sometimes we were disobedient. But you know, the only reason why we're breathing air right now, God's full of patience and mercy. Like, I have no business being in this pulpit preaching right now. I have no business. But God is so full of mercy and long-suffering. He has put up with so much of my disobedience. Is more than sometimes I've been a disobedient. But God's long-suffering, and he waited in the days of Noah. If he could do it back then, and that ark was preparing. And that's where that ark we're preparing. And few, that is eight souls. This is the Bible, saved by water. Next verse. That figure, that example, that illustration is baptism that does also now save us. It's not a bubble bath, not the cleaning of the filth of the flesh. But here's the power. If You've been baptized before, and you never 
heard what you just heard here, and you like, man, wow. The good news is you could be baptized again today. But we see, I don't, I, we don't treat baptism here as a membership thing. This is, this is not about membership. Now, we do have a church business meeting. We do have church membership, all that good stuff. And, and yeah, if someone's baptized in Jesus' name, they're eligible to move forward in that path. But this is more than membership. This is not about, oh, if you want to be a member, let's get you wet. No, 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 no. Let's get baptized in the name of Jesus because we want our sins to be washed away. And we want to obey what Jesus said and what the apostles said. Amen? And so the Bible says it is the answer of a good conscience towards God. After you are obedient to Scripture, you could come out of that water and walk out of this building with a clear conscience. Can we lift our hands right now and can we pray? And can we ask God to create inside of us a clean heart right now? This is the forgiveness aspect of it. This is the cleaning aspect of God, Lord, creating me a clean heart. Lord, I'm sorry for any sins in my life. God, I'm sorry. Sometimes I am disobedient, but Lord, you're long suffering. You put up with so much of my mess, but God, I don't want to live in my mess. I want to live in the blessing of God. I want to live in the favor of God. I want to live in obedience to your word, God. Lord, we're excited for what's about to happen. Lord, that Bianca, she's prayed. She's asked you to forgive her. Lord, she believes in you and she's been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But God, we don't want just part of the gospel. We want everything that's in the gospel. And Lord, today as she's about to be buried in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, she's going to come up like Noah's ark old things have passed away behold all things have become new and Lord I pray if there's anyone here today under the sound of my voice that would like to be rebaptized or baptized for the first time Lord we open up that door today Lord by asking you to forgive us of our sins and Lord asking you Lord to clean our hearts and Lord we make a conscious decision to live for you I want to be in covenant with you I want to be made right with you God I want to serve you with all of my heart all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. I love you, Jesus. I love you.